Here we are in John chapter 1, in the beginning. And again, this brings us into eternity. Was the word, the word here, holagos, uh, logos is Christ in his pre-incarnate state. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. For us to understand this is, is very amazing because the only way that God can begin to explain to us and to bring out this beautiful picture here of the Trinity, because we know, of course, even when it says here the Father and the Son with this incredible exchange of this love life, this affectionate embrace and this love life, between the Father and the Son, we know the Holy Spirit was there because you cannot separate God from God. They're one. So we know that the Holy Spirit, it was proceeding from both. We see this in John the 14th chapter in verses 16 and 17 and a lot of other uh, scriptures that are brought out in the Gospel of John. But we know here that in the beginning, God's bringing us into eternity and showing us the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but in this embrace, this loving, deep relationship. And then it says the same in the beginning with God. So God, in this way, he, in this way, he has to, he begins to show us this eternity. And what he's doing is he's showing us this relationship that he has always had for as long as God has ever been. We've said before many times, way back in Texas in the very early years, I say the early years from, from 2008 to 2010, right in there, the very early years where we were going into, God had us going into the nature, character, and essence of God and understanding that God has always been. There's never been a time he hasn't been. So what this is bringing out here is that in this eternity of God, God inhabits it. We know that in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, there's this loving, affectionate embrace between the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, which nothing ever has or could disturb or distract. It was this loving embrace. This is where we get that word with. This word with is, is amazing when we understand it. It's P-R-O-S, pros, or pros, or pros, as some would say. It's, and that word we've been taught is this affectionate, eternal embrace between the father and son as long as they've ever been, and there's never been, how do we say it, <laughs> a time when they haven't been. And that's the words even when we see in Exodus 3 and verse 14 in John 8 and verse 58 and 59 where Jesus was answering the Pharisees and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And what that brings out is this eternal relationship. It's a relationship between the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both. And what this brings out to us is for you and I to understand this, to have a deep understanding of this, then what we need and what we, what we have is the reason why Jesus Christ had to come out 
to put on that humanity. You see, everything about reality for us as believers that are in Christ, everything about us in terms of reality has to do with how we relate. Is there a proper relationship outside of God? We know that that is an impossibility based upon the scriptures. Here is John, the first chapter and verse one again. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. That's that word pros, P-R-O-S. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now listen, this is what it says. All things were made by him. In other words, there wasn't anything that came into being without him. And all of creation, even in Psalm 19, 1 to 6, is to bring out this loving, relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to see through the days how this enters into the most intimate relationship in marriage, way back in Genesis, the second chapter, in the 24th verse, going into, we see again in Matthew, the 19th chapter, in the fifth verse. That's why a husband, a man, and, and will leave his mother and his father and a woman, and they will cleave unto one another. We're going to see what these words mean in the most incredible way here that God so deeply wants us to have and understand, and we do have it in Christ. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. There's where he came out. He came out and he brought with him this intimate relationship. <laughs> Who created Adam? Christ did in his pre-incarnate state in Genesis 2 and verse 7, created him from the dust of the ground. And then as you follow it through down in the 20s to the 24th chapter, he took, he put Adam in a place of deep sleep, deep sleep. And he took one of his ribs and he built a woman and brought her to him. And this is bringing out the intimacy of relationship that God so desires to have with us. And what is so missing in Christianity, I think in this sense for me as I grow, I think because of this lack of this affectionate embrace and bond that nothing can disturb or distract, that's that word pros, P-R-O-S, there's the, the thing that's missing in so much of Christian teaching, so much doctrine, is this intimacy. And no wonder when we don't understand intimacy, who we are in Christ, who he is in us, why in relationships, even with Christians, even in the most intimate ones that they may have personally with Christ, but to have that exchange with each other, when there's not that bond with each other, this brings out Colossians 2. And verse 2, we're knit together. We're bonded together. And that's why there's a lack of forgiveness. How does a body operate? The body of Christ on the earth, how does it operate without forgiveness? Because that brings in, and there's this conviction again. And the enemy despises intimacy. He does not want it. He doesn't want it between the individual and God. He doesn't want it between the husband and the wife. He does not want it with the family members, with the children, with the husband and wife, and the mother and the father. He doesn't want it. and doesn't want it in Christianity. 
doesn't want it in local assemblies. So he'll do everything he can to overthrow this deep desire that God has finished in Christ and given him to us. Everything he, he does is against that. Everything about that. When we get into that word and we see these things, they are so incredible. They're so incredible. I was thinking this morning, as it, again, just laying the foundation for, these, for this word, pros. Just, just thinking it. See, you see, and this even brings in, and only God, the Holy Spirit, who's the only theologian and the only true scholar and true theologian, this is why he can tie everything together in this beautiful way. And even in 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, we have a more certain word of prophecy because we have Christ in us. The, the, the light dawning on us until the day we see him face to face. Even in this world, as I was considering uh, instantly when I first woke up this morning, instantly the enemy tries to come in and overthrow our complete dependence upon God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does he do that? With all the evil that's going on in the world today. All of it. Israel, Ukraine, all over the world. There's all of this evil that is going on. Just this morning, it happened last night, late, I guess, yeah, sometime last night, not too far from us, up in Maine, a man with a weapon went into a bar and then, again, went down into a bowling alley and slaughtered 22 people with at least 30 wounded, some critically. And to think that that's what I was hit with. And, and the enemy would try to use the evil that is going on in this world to somehow, and, and with me, to overthrow my complete dependence upon this love of, of God through Jesus Christ. To just completely overthrow it and to subvert me. And this is in, this is in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14. And the enemy tries to come in. You know, we have that word catastrophe in, in the English. You know what a, a catastrophe is? It's something that's just mind-boggling. There's violence and disturbance and all this. It's a catastrophe. We see it. This is where we, uh, we get our English word. And I was saying to my wife the other day, just yesterday, that without us even realizing it, in our English language, we speak over 300 Greek words. Catastrophe. You see, this is the word in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14. And it's kata, K-A-T-A, astrophe, S-T-R-O-P-H-E. And it's from another Greek word, katastrepho, and it means to turn upside down, to upset, to overthrow, to overturn us, to demolish us, to subvert and overthrow and turn upside down our faith in this intimate love of God through Christ that is ours by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he brought this out to me in the in, in most incredible way. I wanted to speak, and, and I will, as God leads about what it means to have 
that the gift of a pastor teacher for any of us, for any of us. And we know that Christ, uh, he himself is the good, the good shepherd in John 10, 11 and 14. He's the great shepherd of the sheep, the overseer, the bishop in Hebrews 13 and verse 20. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 4, he is the chief shepherd. He's the one shepherd, the one pastor, the one in Ecclesiastes 12 in verses 9 through 11. He is. And what that means when a man is truly bonded in his own relationship to Jesus Christ. I want to bring these things out. And this is brought out in Ephesians 4 verses and verses 8 through 11, so that others in 12 through 16 have that same life, that same intimacy. And what God brought out in the midst of evil, in the midst of all of this, did we know that there's, there's opportunity for us? Opportunity. There's constant opportunity for us to experience the intimacy of his love. Constant opportunity. And then as, as we receive that and get that for ourselves, then we give it to others. And it becomes this great opportunity that we have. Just an incredible opportunity. And you see, that's why Jesus came out. He had to come out. He had to come out, put on humanity. He never left the bosom of the Father. We know that. But his deity, never leaving the bosom of the Father. And you know bosom here is the Greek word K-O-L-P-O-N, kolpon. It's the place of the most intimate, deep, affectionate exchange of a love life that nothing can disturb or distract. You see, this is what our opportunity is, to constantly receive that. Of course, we can't without a yoke. That's what makes the yoke so very, very vital. So very, very, very important. So very important. And that's why when we come to hear the word of God, we don't select who we're going to hear it from. And if others don't show up, that becomes a, a means of us not doing it. When God has a feast for us, an unbelievable feast for us, and thank God for the two or three this morning, because he said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. You know what he, he wants to bring out once again in a most beautiful way, the intimacy and deep desire of his love for us. No wonder it says in Psalm 37 and verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. How are we going to do that? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Oh, how the enemy wants to come in and bring so many other desires into us. So many other desires that aren't from him. And use those very desires to overthrow or to keep us from depending on that love. You see, that's why the yoke is so necessary. That's what makes it so very necessary to keep us from being upset. Again, this morning, this was what's going on in the whole world that I see. Over, far away from me, but seeing it in Israel, Ukraine, all over the different world, all over the place, and things that we don't even know, all this evil going on, and then we hear it in Maine. 
Lewiston, Maine, and 22 people. They went out that night, 22 of them. Little did they know it was their last time. Oh, how important it is for us, the opportunities that we have, especially as those that are in Christ and local assemblies, to gather together, to gather together and make Christ to be the object. You see when man, even a pastor, do you see? And this is what brings out Hebrews 13 and verse 7, where there were guides, but there were guides, but in, in, the, in the merciful, merciful plan of God, he took others that were guides that meant a lot to many different people, pastors. He took them home because, of course, he, first and foremost, their work was done and he wanted them for themselves, but they continually looked to him and not Christ. And when he wasn't there, they didn't show up. And they missed Christ, like many did this morning. And I don't say that in condemnation or accusation. I say that with the depth of God's deep desire and his love for us. Oh, the things that we, the enemy gives us to keep us subverted, turned upside down. You know, turned upside down. Values get turned upside down. We get occupied with the things of the world in 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world. <laughs> Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father. This cross love, this intimate, deep desire. Did, you, did we know that God deeply had a desire to love us? And that's why he had to ha be propitiated by his Son? In Genesis 22 and verse 8, in John 1 and verse 29, he had to have the whole sin question dealt with in his nature, character, and essence so that all those that would receive Jesus as a substitute would be reconciled because they would have their sins dealt with. You see, all are dead. Why did Christ die? Well, listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. The love of Christ constrains us. It holds us in a vice, this love. It's the only thing. Where do we see what these words mean? Where do we see? And I'm not going to wait for others. Wait till we see what these words mean and what God has for us in the depth and intimacy of his love. It's unbelievable what that word means. And it goes into a lot of other Greek words that we will get into in the future, in the very future. But I'm going to tell you this. God wants them for us, and he wants them for us right now. He wants them for us right now. I think it's very interesting. The more I see this, the, the greater understanding that I'm getting of this. You know, Jeremiah found his word. He himself found his word. In Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. And he ate that word and found it to be the complete joy of his heart. Psalm 34 verse, verse uh, 2 says, The humble will hear thereof and be glad. Part of it is coming and being available. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. You know, so many have the opportunity. Had it this morning. 
And that's why it says in Psalm 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, he wants us to taste this frost love, this affectionate, eternal embrace that he loves us with. That's what he has for us this morning. In the depth of who he is, in the depth of all of his love. Jeremiah, he tasted that word. He tasted it. And he said that it was the joy an overwhelming joy of his heart. I'm going to read that this morning in Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15. This is what he said. He said that your words were found. I don't know. Does his word find us? Has his love found us this morning? Your words were found and I did eat them. And your word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, my mind, my emotions, the five parts of my soul. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And then verse 17, this is what he said. And this is the world system where a lot of Christians go. You can call it whatever you want. Call it whatever you want. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers. You know, the whole world system's based on that. It, listen, it is mocking Jesus Christ, God's own Son, and mocking the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of, of God's love, the Spirit of truth. There's constant mocking and hatred and violence. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced with them. I didn't live like them. I didn't laugh at the same things that they did. I didn't go where they went. No. No, no. I sat alone because of your hand. No, and many times God has to get us alone. Why? Because he wants to pour his love on us in Romans 5, 5. To pour it on us, this frost love. To pour it on us, that kind of love. He sat alone because of your hand. Then it says, you have filled me with indignation. Now, this is where we need to be careful. This is where I need to be careful. When you prepare a meal, and you want to share it with others, you put the seats out, you put the plates out, and, no, and only... And you put out many plates and many seats and only a few sit. Only a few come in and sit. And thank God for the few. That's again, Matthew 18, 20. We need to be careful. That's why it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 26, be angry. Be angry at what the devil does and how he keeps people from the word. Keeps them busy going here and going there and doing this and doing that. We, a, a, a pastor that's united to Jesus Christ, Christ united to him. This is Ephesians 4, 8, he gave gifts unto men, meaning those men themselves were attached to Christ in this intimate relation, love exchange relationship that nothing could disturb or distract. Those are the men. He gave those men, and out of those men came the, those two gifts. Uh, ultimately, I mean, in the beginning, for us, even in the New Covenant, the New Testament, there was uh, there were some uh, apostles, New Testament apostles, and prophets, New Testament prophets, and then having fulfilled them, 
He gave some evangelists and pastors and teachers. Again, why did God, for, for so many reasons, we said it just recently, just a little earlier, Again, in Hebrews 13, verse 7, he, he, there's some, rule, some of ours that we love and we're taught by so deeply went home to be with the Lord. Of course, Christ wanted them with him, first and foremost. Their work was done. But they were also taken away because they began to look to that man more than Christ. Right. So they were taken home because... God will not share the glory of his son with any man. He won't do it. 1 Corinthians 3.21, Galatians 6, verse 14. He's not going to do it. Isaiah 42 and verse 8. He will not share the glory of his son with anyone. For any of us. And that's a pastor. A pastor, a true shepherd is united. He's a little under-shepherd. He's a little under-shepherd. Now, thank God, we do have these that we still have in Hebrews 13 and verse 17. There are guides. There are guides. Now, so Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15 and verse 17, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I didn't rejoice. I didn't laugh at they, what they laughed at. I didn't need what they felt they needed. I didn't need any of those things. Those were the things of the world, again, in 1 John 2 and verse 15. You know, some of those things are not bad in themselves, but they can be a distraction, and the enemy can use them, even in total ignorance, and not even realize we're being turned upside down. Catastrophic. To overturn, to be overthrown. Unbelievable. To turn us away. To turn us away from dependence by even trying to depend on the one who's the pastor and not Christ. And God will not have it. Sooner or later, he's going to show us that. He will show us that. We don't glory in men. That's 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 21. We do not glory in men. Some say, I am of Paul. 1 Corinthians 1.12. Some say, I am of Apollos. Some say, I am of Cephas, Peter. And some say, we don't need anybody. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 1, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Yes. Is he? Of course not. Of course not. And don't allow anyone, any man, to, di to divide you or to keep you separated. Where do we get into the, from Christ? Where do we get into this word? I can't wait. I cannot wait for it. Again. So he was filled with indignation. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful even when we ourselves fail. When we ourselves sin and we fail. Thank God in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, his love never fails. We know that that loving relationship that's between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit proceeding from both in John 1, verses 1 and 2, that's why it doesn't fail. Because of Christ who came out and put on humanity, impeccable, sinless humanity. He was never to, tempted to sin like you and I are. Never. His obedience was instant. Instant obedience. 
Verse 18, then he said, why is my pain perpetual? This is what happens. We need to be very careful. I need to be very careful. When you prepare a meal and expect and invite all kinds of guests and they don't show up because maybe, you know, they had other things to do. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath because if you, you will give up your place to the devil. You will give up the place of intimacy with Christ if you do. We're to be angry. Are you that love the Lord in Psalm 97 and verse 10? You're to hate evil. But you don't be overcome with evil. You overcome evil with good. This is Romans 12, 21, and this is Romans 16 and verse 19. This is what the scriptures bring out very clearly. But our pain can be perpetual. And he said, and my wound incurable. This is going back to the flesh and trying to deal with things that you see that are happening in others' lives. The opportunities that they miss. But still, we need to be very careful. I need to be very careful. Not to allow fleshly anger, but godly anger. And to know the difference. Because there's always the intimacy of God's love. Even in the anger, when we bring out the word anger, God lovingly disciplines us. He lovingly chastises us. Chastisement for us in Christ has nothing to do with the judgment of the world. This is brought out in Proverbs 3, 10 and 11 and Hebrews chapter 12 in those 29 verses. Specifically, beginning at the fourth verse and going down to the 29th verse. Loving chastisement to shake us. To shake us. But listen, every place we are, when we follow him, not a man, not natural family, when we follow him, it's an opportunity for us. And if it's for us, it's for others. It's a tremendous opportunity. Even in the midst of all this violence that's going on, there's a light that still shines in us. And that's that loving, intimate relationship. Oh, what did God go through? What did Jesus go through? Even the Holy Spirit, who becomes grieved in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, quenched in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19 from revealing Christ in us because we get occupied with other things. And they just put certain things to them to make it okay. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Because that's the flesh. We refuse to experience the healing that's ours because in Psalm 107 and verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from all their destruction. The self-destructive patterns that the enemy has for a believer in Christ positioned in them, but to experience through the flesh. That's why we need to have that separating. Because then, because that's even that word pros has to do with intimacy, and we're going to see that we're going to see it in a deep way. Has to do with intimacy, has to do with passion, and it has to do with separation. With separation, will you be altogether unto me as a liar? There's where the enemy tries to convince us. When we're not convicted of his love and his love 
convicts us. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, so that we don't continue to live in the condemnation of the world, and then we have constant regret and not godly sorrow, which has joy in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Yeah. So in the flesh, what do we refuse? Refuse the healing that's ours. We don't experience the love that accomplished it and the love that he deeply desires to love us. And this is what I'm seeing more and more. I'm seeing this more and more and more in my own life. In verse 19, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if you return, again, listen, look, this is where God has to do the turning. This is Psalm 25 and verse 16. This is Psalm 80 and verse 3. This is Psalm 85 and verse 4. This is where, in the, in the whole preponderance of the scriptures, this is where we get that word. We have that word Rosh Hashanah, that, that word Rosh Hashanah for the, for the Jews. And this is brought out in the uh, Hebrew, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. They were to have 10 days of constant turning about all these things individually. And that's where we have that Hebrew word teshuva, which means to turn. And it's his love that does it. That's why we need to submit, because we can't turn from the flesh. We cannot turn from the things of the world apart from him. We need to have that pros, that intimate, affectionate love a relationship exchange that nothing can disturb or distract. This is what the enemy didn't want this morning. And this is what he didn't want for others to, to literally have this this morning. And thank God, we can still have it in measure. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, return, return from the anger of the flesh. Don't think you can do anything. Don't care what your gift is. God doesn't care what our gift is. A gift doesn't work properly apart from Christ where that loving relationship, that cross intimate love flows through, you see. If you return, then will I bring you again. He has to bring us again and again. Where is he bringing us again and again constantly? to this cross love that nothing can disturb or distract, not a single thing. And then you will stand before me. Oh, God. To be in a place, not to give up the place to the devil in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. You wouldn't believe the places that the, that the devil leads individuals to go to. And what they miss is a result of it. And, and not that I don't think God doesn't lead people, lead pastors and lead men, and lead all of us. There's no question about that. Therefore, thus says the Lord in Jeremiah 15 and verse 9, if you return, then I will bring you again. You see, we can't do it. It's God. Who is God? Who's the Lord? He's love. And then you will stand before me. He wants individuals. This is why he gave the gift of the pastor teacher. For them not to stand before the pastor, but to stand with the pastor before Christ. Where you lead me, I will follow. Christ. Paul said it. Follow me as I follow the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. 
Philippians 4 and verse 9. Would you see me do? You do also. What is it? Constant, continual obedience to Jesus Christ. You'll stand before me, before this love. And in my love, I'll show you the difference. How to take forth the precious from the vile. The deceit of the enemy. The tre so-called treasures of the world. Needing to escape. Going here, going there. The vile. You will be as my mouth. Hear that? You will be, this is intimacy, as my mouth. There's an incredible intimacy. Moses, he said, you know, in the type that the work that God was doing through him, he called him in Numbers 12 and verse 3, the meekest man on the face of the earth. Why? Because he was yoked up to Jesus Christ. He was looking forward to Christ, the true sacrifice. He was yoked up like you and I need to be this morning. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, so that we can have his rest. What? Where do we rest? We rest in his love. Zephaniah 3 and verse 17, where God is resting in the son of his love, and that's where we are. He's qualified us in Colossians 1, 12. He's made us meet, qualified to walk in the light, to have the light, because he's transliterated us out of the kingdom of the, of the darkness of this evil, vile world and transliterated us and put us into the kingdom of the son of his love. This intimate exchange of this love life. And so here we see it again. You will be as my mouth. Moses, he said in Numbers 12 and verse 8, he said, you know, he speaks with me mouth to mouth. Won't you think about that? We'll bring this out, but a kiss in so many different places in 1 Peter 5 and verse 14, 1 Corinthians 16, 16, scores of other scriptures that will that God, I'm sure, will, will begin to correlate through the power of the Holy Spirit. A kiss makes absolute submission. When you kiss a vacuum, a husband, when he kisses his wife on the lips, and that's the only time that should be between husband and wife, and of course, if there's children, your own children, when you kiss, there's a vacuum and no air passes between. No atmosphere, no air passes between. We're to kiss one another. Allow that love to flow. Allow it to flow. You'll be as my mouth. He said, Moses, Moses, you know, others speak in visions. Others speak in dreams. Not Moses. No. Not Moses. He was the type of Christ in the work that God was doing. No, not him. He speaks with me mouth to mouth, and that's Jesus. The Son of God came out in John 1 and verse 14. He was made. The Word of God was made flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten. And that begotten, again in John 1, 18, that begotten speaks of this eternal love life relationship in the most intimate place, the bosom of the Father, which he never left in his deity as being God. It's the place of the most intimate, affectionate fellowship. And that's Greek, that Greek word for bosom, K-O-L-P-O-N, kopon, it's the most intimate place. He said, you'll be as my mouth. You'll be as my mouth. <clears throat> and this is what he says, then let them return unto you. 
let them return unto you. But return not you unto them. You know why? Because that can be an interference. That can be. It can be. And again, not that I don't think God doesn't lead people. Not that I, I think that at all. And, and I don't want to think in terms of that. I don't want to think too highly of myself or too lowly of myself. I want to be lost in his love and not think of myself at all. Just think of my precious, loving Savior. So the enemy can't come in in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14 and cause a catastrophe in my life because I'm not experiencing his love. And when I don't, and still don't go after that love, go after the word, go after hearing it and submitting it, going after it, going after it. And I got to think too, why God even sends people to certain places to cause them to go after God, to cause them to hunger and thirst for him more and more, especially in these times that we live in. You see, it's an opportunity. We have a greatest opportunity for that love life, of that light that Christ is. He's fittest for it. And 1 John 5, 11 and John 17, 2 and 3. He's given us this eternal life. He's given it to us. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, it says, He said, he said eternity in the heart of man. That means there's a hole that only he can fill. He wants to fill it with love. And the enemy wants it to turn it upside down and have us try and put everything else in that hole to fill where we lack the experiential love. Intimate. Just think of it. It, is, it was God's own desire to love us. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you. Ah, what does that mean? That he came out in agreement with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. He came out to reveal how in this deep, intimate love, he's chosen us. How long would you keep the person that you love the most from waiting to embrace you, to exchange a love life with you? How long would you make them wait when you knew that they did everything that they could to do that, to bring that relationship towards you? You see, everything about us has to do with that, and that's our opportunity. That is our opportunity. We need to be very careful of the subtlety of the enemy in Genesis 3.1 and 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. We need to be very careful. And this is why God has given us men that are connected to him. Because the gift doesn't flow unless the gift that Christ is himself, that he's given an evangelist. When an evangelist goes out, what is he doing? He is giving to others, the giving Lord through that. And the pastor teacher, who is that? One who is mouth to mouth and himself. You see it again in Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Filled up with that loving relationship, mouth to mouth. Speaks of intense submission and intimacy and separated to him, but separated from the world. Oh God separated from the world completely and utterly and then separated unto his love. And this is, this is everything about who Jesus is and, and was and still is in his person and the work that he accomplished. 
that he desired this oneness with us in John 17, 11, 21, and 22 to be brought out in the body in specific local assemblies in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, that we experience the intimacy of his love and that we have this oneness and we, we are com, com, so connected to him in intimacy that the things that go on in this way, even the evil does not disturb us. We see it. We pray for others. We get touched by the feeling of others' infirmities like Jesus, but we do it in a way where it doesn't become a negative or something the enemy can use to overthrow our complete dependence upon his love for us as individuals and love for them. And Father, we thank you this morning that we're able still to bring out in measure something from your word, even when the enemy did everything he could to stop it. Just thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. I'm thankful for what you want to bring out tomorrow in these days coming. I have to believe that even going to these places is getting people getting people, getting individuals that you love so deeply to turn away from other things and to turn towards you. And I do believe you're doing that. I believe you're doing that in, in the place where you will have me to go. And I believe that's the measure of it. The measure of, of it is your deep love to do those things. And that's why it's called the labor of love. And I do thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you for each faithful person, for the work that you constantly do through them. And oh my God, when he, when you do that work, and you're the only one that does that, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, when you do that work, it's a privilege for us, even in the, in the midst of labor, but it's a labor of love. It's not a labor of regret. It's not a labor of evil. No, it's a labor of love. And we thank you for this. And thank you for the word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.